0: You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. I'm excited. Thank you for being here. Um, just, a, just a couple of things. I just want to say thank you um, for all of you that are doing backpacks. Uh, we have an opportunity to really just, just bless the socks off of some of the schools in our district that, that um, we've just had a great partnership and relationship for a long time. So thank you for that and being a part of that. I just also want to say thank you because over the last several weeks, we've been, we've been laying out this vision for you for more hosts for our life group ministry and more home, uh, home uh, leaders, home hosts. And uh, so many people have already said yes on that vision. And so we're getting some training kicked off. But if you still, if God's saying, hey, I I want you to do that, then I want to encourage you. Take that step. We'll help you. We'll get you trained um, because we've got a lot of people around here. We need to get connected in relationships and, and in, um, in family. That's our, that's our goal. That's our vision. That's everything we want to do. And so I'm grateful for you for that. Thank you for being here. If you've got your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're in week 2 of a series called Suit Up. And uh, this is all about the armor of God. We're breaking that down each week. And, and really where this series came from, it's, it's maybe just my frustration because I'm just tired of the way the enemy is just jacking with marriages and families and, and just all types of things going on in our, our, our life. And, and this has just been one of those weird summers around, around my household. Um, not just my household, but my extended family. It's just been weird around all these just crazy stuff. Like more people in my family have been in the hospital this summer than probably the last five years And so I'm just kind of like, okay, something's got to change here. And a lot of times we think our strategy for fighting the enemy is kind of like dealing with a a toddler throwing a tantrum. We're like, ignore him, and he'll have to learn. That works sometimes, but sometimes you got to deal with the kid, right? Well, the enemy's the same way. A lot of times we can ignore him, and he just shuts up but there's many times that we just got to engage with them. We got to get on it, okay? We've got to just stand up, and we've got to stand our ground, and we've got to deal with the spiritual battle, and as we go through this series, uh, my, my hope and my, my goal for you is that you are, you're two things at the end of this. You're trained, and you're equipped to deal with these schemes and attacks of the enemy, and so I want, I want a church of fighters, not a church of people who think this whole Christian life is some idea of Jesus sitting in a field petting sheep and being passive, but, but when I Jesus especially in Scripture in the book of Revelation when he comes back he's riding a horse, his robe is, robe is dipped in blood and he's ready to handle business. That's the Jesus I serve y'all and I don't serve a Jesus who, who, who's, 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 who's weak and, and we've gotten to realize that that's who we're following, that's who we're serving that's who we've submitted our life to and that he calls us into a fight. And the enemy will not stop until everything about you is destroyed. That, he's not going to stop until your family, your marriage, your relationships, your fine, everything, your health, everything is utterly destroyed and in ruins. And then what he wants you to do at that point is just turn away from God and go, I thought you were real. Just read the book of Job at his scheme in that. He'll, he'll deny you God. And we've got to be a a people. See, the church is is a people. The church is the redeemed people of God that need to be a people who are ready to fight because he's given us everything we've needed. Many of us come away from battles in our life and we wonder, God, where were you in that? I feel like I just got the stuff kicked out of me and God's like, I've given you everything you need to, to stand firm. I've given you everything you need to be victorious. I've given you this equipment and we've got to have the training to use this equipment. That's why it's vital for us to get into groups. I mean, our training cannot just be this. This is a great day to rally everything and celebrate, and we get fired up, and you know, I feel like Sunday is like, hey, let's go kick the enemy's butt on one, two, three. Kick the enemy's butt, and boom, we go. And, and, but we've got to have those times in homes where we're gathering and we're getting strategic about how we, how we fight. We've got people standing in our corner with us. We're getting training on how to use the equipment, and so I wanna look at this equipment. I love what Paul says. Um, When we get to Ephesians chapter 6, he's talking about this life that we have in Christ and how it affects every area of our life, but he tells us that our fight is not against flesh and blood. This is vital for us to remember because one of the schemes of the enemy that we talked about even last week was was that he wants to get us fighting each other, and then he just kind of stands on the side and goes, mission accomplished. I mean, how many churches die And fall apart and break apart because the enemy has gotten in and created enemies between two people who are Christ followers. How many marriages die because the enemy gets in and stirs it up and says, she's your enemy or he's your enemy. How many families are destroyed and there's no communication for decades, if at all, because the enemy gets in and stirs it up and they say, my son is my enemy, my father is my enemy, and there's this break in the family. All the while, we've focused our attention and our fight on flesh and blood and we've not dealt with the real enemy because behind everything we can see out in front of us, there's something we can't see and that's the enemy coming in to bring schemes, to bring attacks and bring fights. And Paul says, I want you to take on this whole armor of God. He says in verse 13, he says, therefore take up the whole armor of God, not part of it. I want you to do something. Go ahead and read ahead. It's okay, it's okay, you can work ahead. Just just read Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 through 20, several times this week. Take on that whole armor of God. Not just go, "Oh well, Matt, last week we got the belt and the shoes, so I got that. I feel a little naked, but I got belt and shoes. Put it all on. Don't go out to face the enemy and fight the enemy half-dressed. Put it on, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Last week, we talked about the belt and the shoes that this belt is the belt of truth, that it, it girds us, it holds us up, it, it sustains us, and truth is what sustains us. The word of God is truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, wholly spoken by God. And so we have this truth that holds us up, We have the shoes, it says the gospel of peace and this readiness, so our feet are firmly planted in God's peace, that the enemy, when he comes at us, cannot move us from the peace of God. And then it becomes something we go on the offense because the light overtakes the darkness. The darkness cannot overtake the light, and so we push that in. And this week, Paul says, he says, I want you to put on this breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is an incredible piece of armor, a piece of equipment in our in our fight. I've got a picture of it. I want to show you. This 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 covers our midsection. It covers the thorax. I like some of the ones the Romans wore because they they would be made of bronze or iron. But the bronze one would be shiny and it, they would be ripped. They would have a six pack already cut out. I'm like, <laughs> can somebody get me one of those? I've got a six pack. I've just never seen it. You know. I mean. You laugh at me. I've got a heart. Have you seen your heart? No, I haven't seen my heart, but I know I got some strong, solid abs underneath some stuff. (laughs) But how intimidating it is when you show up to battle and you got this shiny breastplate on, and like you just you're just ripped and cut. You're like, I don't want to jack with him. But this covers our, our midsection, covers the thorax. And see, that it's also part of a defensive side of our armor because we have a shield that we'll talk about next week, but with this shield, it's a complement. We, we tend to focus our defense. So we kind of have the enemy coming at us, and we focus our defense on what we can, he, we, we know he's coming. It's like maybe, so some of y'all have been fighting this way, like, I know he's coming, he's attacking this way, and I've got him, and I've got the shield, and all of a sudden, boom, he sucker punches it in the side. You ever had that happen? Where you think, okay, I think I'm fighting, I think I'm I think I'm defending the enemy, I think I'm making some ground here, and all of a sudden, bam. And you're like, where did that come from? And it knocks the wind out of you, and you just, you're just, what is going on? I thought I was fighting well. I thought, you know, and you just start, you just start reeling from this. And that that breastplate creates armor between us. So when those attacks come, it, it's not knocking the wind out of us, it's hitting that. We feel it, yeah. But we're able to quickly deal with where it's at and turn some and start fighting, and that's what we've got to realize with this with the enemy. It's a complement to the shield. It's kind of the, this blindside defense, and we've got to understand how to use it, how it works, what it means. And, and when I think about this, we think about righteousness. I love that the, this breastplate that covers the core of our being is called the breastplate of righteousness. And to understand righteousness and how it protects us, I wanna wanna bring up a guy named Abraham. If you met him back in the Old Testament around Genesis chapter 15, the first book of the Bible, his name was Abram and his wife's name was Sarai. God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. They, They were old. God shows up to Abraham and he gives him this promise, this covenant that he's gonna make. He said, Abraham, out of you, I'm gonna make a great nation. And not only from that from you, Uh, a great nation is going to happen, but all nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. Now, this was an incredible promise from God because Abraham was already old. He was outside of childbearing years and his wife was barren. And so Abraham's like, hey, this is all going to be you, God, if this is the case. And God does something incredible. He calls Abraham out of, or at this time, Abram out of his father's household. See, in that, in that society, that culture, Abram was living in his father's house and it was, it was what we call polytheistic culture. His, there was a serving of many gods. It would be like this. There would be the fertility god, the moon god, the sun god, the rain god, all these gods, you guys, that's not unlike our society today because we've got the car gods, the money god, the kids god, the sports god. We've got all these gods. And God says, I want to call you out of that. I want you to leave that system. I want you to leave this focus of serving all of these other idols, and I want you to step into this place I'm leading you. I will lead you, Abram. You follow me, I will take you, and I will build this great nation of you. And, and we pick up, there's a, there's a thing in Genesis 15 where Abram hasn't seen it come true yet. It hasn't happened. He says, after these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. I love that. I defend my vision for you. I defend my calling in your life. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And God said to Abram, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside. God brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. This is an incredible thing. Most of us haven't seen stars like stars. You know, we live in the city. We've got light pollution. We've got all this. A couple weeks ago, I was out in West Texas and I was with Heather's father and Heather's uncle. And Heather's uncle and I were about midnight standing in the middle of a field. And we looked up. There was no moon that night, and it was a cloudless, clear sky. I mean, one of those nights that it's just like I'll remember for the rest of my life because the stars didn't look distant. The stars looked like they were falling on top of you. It was that dark, and the stars were that bright. And so we, start, we walk out at night here and we go, okay, can you number the stars? Well, there's one, there's two. And we, we think we can do it. But when you see it in that context, you don't even know where to start numbering. The Milky Way was so clear and pronounced, it looked like a cloud. We were standing in the, in the back of this, this Polaris watching satellites fly over. It was that clear, that dark, and we could see that well. Can you imagine God calling Abram out and says, hey, I want you to look at this. Can you number those? Because that's gonna be like your offspring. Out of you, I'm gonna create this nation and this nation is gonna bless all the nations. Out of this nation is gonna come the Savior and the Messiah. And, and, And something interesting happens in this next verse. It says, then... Uh, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Hmm, There's that righteousness. In the New Testament, after this nation has been born, the promise has been seen that, that Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah and they have this child and we see the promise of God starting to to live out. Then through through that, the Messiah comes. Jesus was crucified, he was resurrected and this man Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome and he, he talks about Abraham, their forefather. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So even in the New Testament, we see this correlation where Abraham's belief is counted as righteousness. And I, I want to I differentiate some righteousness here, because there's really two elements that we tend to look at. The the first element is is a positional righteousness, that you and I have a position in Christ. When Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, then, then Abraham is given a position in Christ as righteousness. And then it's gotta do something from there. So we have this position in Christ called righteousness. Then there's a practical righteousness. That's how we live it out. That's taking... A position and putting it into practice. a lot of us we tend to look for that next position, that promotion, and if I can get this, you know, I remember, I remember when I first started a career, I was a, I was a billing call center representative. You want to talk about a rough job? Talking to people for nine hours a day on a phone about their bill. Hmm. It was awful. And then I got promoted to a supervisor. I was like, that's a new position. I had different duties of the position. And honestly, sometimes I'm like, i I want to go back there. Because <laughs> I thought, if I can get promoted out of that position, life will be better. Oh, no, 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 no. Sometimes it doesn't get better with a promotion. But we have this position in Christ. And we have responsibilities as a result of that position in Christ. And so as we start kind of looking and understanding this righteousness that guards our core, that protects the main part of our body, we've got to understand some, some elemental things and elementary things about this righteous, righteousness so that we can stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. And the one thing we've got to understand is this righteousness is given, it's not earned. Because we, we just read that if it's, if it's earned, it's called a wage, it's our due. I mean, you have a job, and and here's how that works. You give them your time, and you give them your abilities, and they give you money. If you stop giving your time or your abilities, they stop giving you money. But righteousness is a gift. It is given. Paul Paul explains in his letter of Ephesians, before he says, stand firm with the whole armor of God, he's teaching them that that you are saved by grace and grace alone. It is a gift of God. It's not by your own works, lest you can boast. And then in Romans chapter four, Paul said, this righteousness is a gift. If we can earn it, we'll brag about it. And it's not a wage. it's It's what we are given through Christ because of his position. There's nothing I can do to earn it. And the way I get it is belief. I simply get that positional righteousness through belief in Christ, nothing else. If anyone ever tells you that it's Jesus plus something else, it's a lie. To be saved is this, to believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who was crucified and resurrected and paid the penalty for our sin. And when you place your faith, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord, then something happens. You are declared the righteousness of God. Not everything else you do. I don't don't read in scripture when Jesus is on the cross. See, Jesus went to the cross for our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it so beautifully in verse 21 for our sake not his sake. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So you have Jesus on the cross, willingly laying down his life. He had no sin. He was the perfect lamb of God. But for our sake, God said, I want you to take on this sin of the world. And Jesus takes it on and he's hanging on the cross for your sake and for my sake. And he's experiencing the wrath of God against sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On Jesus' right hand and left hand are thieves that are rightly condemned and one's mocking him and the one on his right is saying forgive me and Jesus looks over at him and go well today you would be with me in paradise if you could get yourself off that cross and go to church today you'd be with me in paradise if you get off that cross and get baptized oh thief I need to check your giving record uh oh it's funny, on that Saturday Switch video, people are saying, I switched because Matt asked me to. Do you know how humbling that is? I got to stay <laughs> humble with that because there's a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for the righteousness of God. So when the enemy starts to tell you you're not righteous, you know what? That righteous breastplate is held up by the belt of truth, truth supports my righteousness. Truth supports my position in Christ. So that when the enemy tells me I'm a wretch, I'm like, yeah, but I'm a redeemed wretch. Well, you're just a sinner. Yeah, but I'm the righteousness of God. How are you the righteousness of God? Nothing you do is righteous. Nothing you bring before God is good. Your most righteous act, Matt, is but filthy rags before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, but in Christ, I am the righteousness of God. You've got to start reminding the enemy of that. He's going to tell you everything about your past. And he's going to start telling you scripture. He knows it better than you. But you've got to come back with truth. My righteousness is supported by the truth. And the truth is, for my sake, God put Jesus in a place for me who took on my sin, who took on my penalty so that when I believe in him and I confess in him, then my righteousness is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And that's what I stand on. It is given to me. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet in his great love, he still pours it out on me so that I can stand firm on my position in Christ. When the enemy starts telling you how bad you are and that God can't love you anymore, then then let me give you some truth. Why don't you go back at him? And and Jesus said this in in John, in John chapter, uh, I think it's John chapter 10. But he says, my father gives them eternal life and nothing can snatch them. From his hand. Listen to this truth. There is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He loves you with a perfect and whole love. Period. Period. This righteousness that we have changes us. See, that's our positional righteousness, but our life needs to look different. When, we're, when, we, when we have this righteousness in our life, our life looks different. Too many people think Christianity is about behavioral modification, and and that's not the case. What it is about is transformation. When God changes me from the inside out, I begin to live a different life. I begin to walk and understand and hold myself up as the righteousness of God. See, this breastplate that we put on, it's not flexible, y'all. And what happens when I start feeling my posture and my holiness start to wane, this breastplate keeps me upright. That's what righteousness means upright, right before God. And when I am the righteousness of God, he keeps me strengthened in my core so that I can walk a life that is shown as upright before God. Oh, how a world needs to see that. He's not looking for perfection from you. He's looking for progress. And what that means is with this righteousness that we are given in Christ, we have to choose to put it on every day. Every day. I mean, you got daily battles. You got daily fights. You got fights left over from the day before. Some of y'all are fighting battle after battle after battle, and you're still fighting the war. And you got to choose every day, I'm going to stand and I'm going to fight. I'm going to be firm. I'm going to stand firm. I am the righteousness of God. I'm going to stand as the righteousness of God. I'm going to engage this as the righteousness of God. It's going to change how I affect things. See, Job was going through one of the most difficult circumstances I could ever imagine. He lost his kids. He lost his livestock lost his house, lost his health, everything. His wife is just telling him, you just need to curse God and die. And he says, even if God kills me, I'm still gonna trust him. But this is what Job declares in chapter 29. He said, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. It is holding me. I'm choosing to put it on. This positional Righteousness should create some practical ways in how we live our life. It affects things. I heard a quote the other day that said one of the greatest things, or really the worst things we can die with is potential. Why? Because that means we left something on the table. There was something we didn't go for. There was something we didn't try. There was something we just left on the back burner, and that's called potential. And this position in Christ gives us this incredible potential to walk in victory and to walk in a way that we can walk on top of the enemy, we can trample him, and we can walk in life in a way that God has called us to, and we can walk out the position we have. But so many Christ followers die with that potential, and they never engage in the battle. They never stand up. And start walking in that righteousness that they've been given. It's that transformation. It's if you think about it this way: our practical and positional righteousness is like this. Positional righteousness is transformation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. It's a complete change from the inside out. It's not me trying to do better. It's not me trying to say, well, if I try harder, if I had more willpower, it's me submitting to the king of kings whose name is victory and saying, I want your life in me, I want your power in me, I want your spirit at work in me, and that transforms my life. That belief that is credited in righteousness changes everything about who we are. But the practical righteousness is living it out. Think about this. Caterpillars live part of their life crawling in the dirt, being overwhelmed by even the blades of grass around them and then one day they make their way up into a tree or a shrub and they build this cocoon and out of that cocoon comes this beautiful butterfly. I don't see butterflies trying to live like caterpillars. How many people who have given their life to Christ are still wallowing in the dirt Overwhelmed by the blades of grass when he's given you the ability to fly above it. It changes how we live life. And when I start thinking about this righteousness, again, guys, it's not perfection. How do we get perfection? Positionally, because he is the perfect one. And if I'm in Christ, that's what God sees. What he wants is progress. How many of y'all go through those cycles where you keep losing the same battle over and over and over? I've been there. And my prayer time consists of this. God, why do I keep giving into this? Why do I keep following this area? Why do I keep getting a defense up and all of a sudden the enemy comes in and just jacks me? It's a couple of things. I'm not fully standing firm with the whole armor of God. I'm letting the enemy diminish my righteousness and tarnish my righteousness in Christ. And the other thing I'm not fighting with other people by my side. You see this breastplate is given for a blindside attack, but it doesn't it doesn't ward off every blindside attack. I need people around me. I need family. I need people. I don't I, it needs to go beyond family. I need people, I need the church who is not just the people who come to a building and say, we are the church and we're gonna sit and wait until Jesus comes back. I need the church who is a redeemed warrior who stands for Christ, who will stand beside me in the fight. And so when he sees me, when I have somebody fighting with me and he sees that I'm, I'm losing the same battle, he comes along and, hold, 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 hold on a second. You need to remember some things, Matt. First of all, you're the righteousness of God. Now let's start walking it out and let me help you. Let me hold you up. Let me help carry you some because that's how wars are won. That's how the battles are won. We're not Rambo, we're an army, and we're the greatest army that eternity will ever see. So, how does righteousness protect me? I understand that I've got this position in Christ, and I understand that it changes how I live life, but what does it practically mean? How do I apply this this piece of armor? How do I take this, this equipment and walk in the training? And I really I, as I'm praying about it, here's the thing: that our core is under attack. Our heart is under attack. The heart of our marriage is under attack. The heart of our family is under attack. The heart of our church is under attack. The heart of our society is under attack, and we need to cover that. We need to protect that. How do we protect it with the righteousness of God? Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 4, he says, guard your heart, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it will flow the springs of life. That means you are protecting it, that you're focusing it, that you've got the coverage of God's righteousness in your life, and you're, you're guarding your heart. I mean, how many of you have had your heart broken, and you're like, why do I keep putting my heart out there? God's not saying, hey, you've got to have a heart of stone because he said, behold, I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But we got to protect that. He puts that inside your rib cage, he puts that behind his righteousness. When you give your heart to Christ, you become the righteous of God. I used to get really freaked out by that as a kid. <laughs> In children's church, do you want to give your heart to Jesus? And I mean, I'd, I'd just seen Indiana Jones. I'm like, what do you do? <laughs> Here you go. I mean, <laughs> what do I do then? But think about this, your heart, your affection, your love, your devotion. Protect it. Protect it behind the righteousness of God because the enemy's coming after it. The breastplate protects our lungs. All the major organs in our thorax, our core. We'll talk about the helmet in a couple weeks It's gonna protect our mind, but protect your heart protect your lungs y'all cuz your lungs are your ability to praise and that changes how we fight battles that changes how we approach the enemy that that it changes everything when I start praising that's why that's why James can say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. How do I find it joy? Because I can praise God even in the battle. I can praise God in a storm. I can praise God even in the middle of the attack. Let me show you how this, so through Abraham comes this nation, and this nation comes out of bondage from Egypt throughout history. They cross over this river, and they go into this land that God had promised. And he said, I'm giving you this land, but you got some battles to face. You got some fights to happen. And when they sent spies into the land, the people were like, look, we're not gonna be able to win this. We look like grasshoppers to them. They're huge, they're giants. There's no way we got this. And God calls them to this city called Jericho, these huge fortified walls. And God gives them a battle plan. And that battle plan is a battle plan of praise. He said, I'm gonna change how you fight now. He says, I want you to walk around that city. You don't raise TNT against it. You don't bring dynamite against it. You don't bring anything, but you walk and you praise. And then when I tell you to, you shout it out. And in chapter 6 of Joshua, this army are surrounding, and so the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, they shouted a great shout. What they did, they started praising God. The righteous and the redeemed started praising God. And what happened? The walls came down, and the walls came down flat so that the people went up into the city, and they captured it. We've got to change how we fight. We've got to change how we approach the enemy. We've got to stand in position in the righteousness of God. And we've got to start taking steps forward in our life as, as the righteousness of God. And we've got to start praising God like we've never praised before. Because the fight's coming like we've never had it come before. And I've seen some things happen when I praise. When we praise, when we praise, things change. The perspective of heaven changes. The presence of God moves in. And the presence of God is what we have Got to have in our life. It's the Holy Spirit at work. And when I say, Holy Spirit, fill me, He fills me with that power. He fills me with the remembrance that I am the righteousness of God and He gives me the ability to walk it out. When I start praising, the Spirit moves on my behalf. When I start praising, then walls start coming down. When I start praising, prison walls open up. When I start praising, the enemy has to defeat, has to retreat because he knows he's defeated because the presence of God begins to just push him back and put him in his place. Can we have the redeemed and the righteous of the, of the God stand up? Can we stand up? The righteousness of God. And can we start thanking God? Can we start praising God? Thank you, God, for your righteousness. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your victory. I stand in your face. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at creekfw.com.